On this episode, I'm in the room with Jared Brock discussing his year journey around the world studying prayer and his new book, A Year of Living Prayerfully. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 32. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you're listening for the first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find lots of ways for you and I to stay connected online by visiting my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. Now, In the Room is your opportunity to eavesdrop on my conversations with interesting people. Almost every week, I sit down with people of varied backgrounds and perspectives and vocations, and so I end up talking with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. On this episode, I'm in the room with Jared Brock. Jared is a documentary filmmaker, an author, and the co-founder of Hope for the Soul, an abolitionist nonprofit fighting sex trafficking. While filming in the red light districts of Amsterdam, Jared was reminded of his deep need for prayer. And this reminder resulted in a 37,000-mile prayer pilgrimage around the globe. His new book, A Year of Living Prayerfully, is a travel memoir documenting this journey. In my conversation with Jared, we discussed the reasons that prayer runs dry in our lives, how ministry leaders can help fuel the fire of prayer, both in their own lives and in the lives of those they lead, and how in the world Jared ended up meeting with the Pope on this journey. Now get comfortable and come on in the room for my conversation with Jared Brock. Jared, thanks so much for coming on In the Room. I really appreciate it. Uh, love your new book, A Year of Living Prayerfully. Excited to talk to you about that. But if we could start uh, by learning a little bit more about you, for people that may not be familiar with your blog and with the new book, let's just start from the beginning. And uh, I know that you're in uh, Ontario now, is that correct? Yeah, we're is, here about six months a year. All right. So is that where you were born? Uh, yeah, I was born in Guelph, Ontario. Um born of a pastor's kid, so okay. all the baggage that comes along with that. Yeah. Um, uh, I first kissed my wife in the summer of the seventh grade uh, at a Newsboys concert. That's romantic. Um, we, well, that's how you know it's true love. That's and, right. Uh, we've been married for coming up on seven years, and awesome. we run a charity to fight human trafficking called Hope for the Sold. Excellent. And so when did you, you grew up in a Christian home? Did you come to faith then at a young age? I actually um, came to faith after hearing James McDonald speak in Burlington when I was 17 years old. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the Newsboys Conference was before that. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, no, it was the whole, like, I had said the fire insurance prayer as a kid, yeah, yeah. but like, um, James really talked about, like, Jesus as Savior and Lord, and I was like, I don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So I got, I got like rebaptized and everything. All right. So I remember I saw the newsboys when I was young and I remember it was when their drummer like strapped into the seat and they spun him upside down. Did you uh-huh. ever see that? Uh, probably four times. It was yeah. spectacular. <laughs> yeah. I li- I went to high school in this, in Rapid City, South Dakota. Okay. So small town, not a ton of acts came through, but the newsboys came through like annually. Incredible. So it was phenomenal. And I never got kissed at newsboys show. So you beat me there. <laughs> Well, in addition to writing, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about this nonprofit that you and your wife run and just kind of what ministry is looking for. Um, so you have this new book, A Year of Living Prayerfully, that's out right now. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're doing a lot of speaking for that. Uh, but what is what is life in ministry? Are you just an author? You run the, like What exactly do you do? Yeah, so um, Hope for the Soul was birthed out of, we were actually at the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta a couple okay. of years ago, well, many years ago, eight years ago now, and uh, Gary Hagen from International Justice Mission spoke, and we didn't know anything about human trafficking at the time, 
we just came home. We said, we'll do something. So we started raising awareness, doing art shows, coffee shops, concerts. We started a group on this new website called The Facebook. Yeah. And uh, just like we'd talk to anyone who would listen. And one thing led to another, and we started making documentaries. Um, we've now made two films on human trafficking. Uh, the most recent one's called Red Light, Green Light. And okay. it took us to 10 countries to look at prostitution models. And uh, because Canada was thinking about legalizing, which is a terrible idea if you're trying to prevent trafficking. Yeah. And um, we've actually been part of um, getting two laws changed here in Canada. We've wow. te- testified in parliamentary committee in the whole nine yards. So yeah, that's been, uh, that's been a fun, fun journey. And uh, this book was actually birthed out of our second documentary. So how can people find those films? Um, redlightgreenlightfilm.com. Uh, okay. Hope for the Sold is the name of the charity, hopeforthesold.com. Okay. Well, we'll link that all up uh, cool. in the show notes to this. So I know that you know one of the things that kind of gave birth to this book you talk about was basically that, in a sense, your own prayer life had just sort of died or fizzled. Yeah. And so why? Like, how did that happen for you? What, what were the factors that caused that? Well... It's interesting, Ryan, because I I have a very strange high school story. Um, I was part of this like Christian group in my school when I was in like the 11th and 12th grade. And one day we showed up at lunch for this group and there was a sign that says Christian club is canceled henceforth. So we went down to the office and what had happened is they had kicked the Christian club out of the school. So the parents took the school board to court um, for freedom of religion infringement and won. And we were like on the front page of the paper and on television. But while that court case was going on, we met outside all winter in the Canadian winter, like minus 20 and 30 Celsius. And the Salvation Army would like bring blankets and hot chocolate. (laughs) It was was glorious. And uh, so, but we started seeing kids come to Christ like crazy. Like we had over 40 salvations in one year. And um, like some of my closest friends today are church planters and pastors who came out of that. And, uh, so like we would see people getting saved on a weekly basis and, you know, this little high school group is just like praying and seeing yeah. answers to prayer. So, but then you kind of grow up, you get married, you get a job, you get busy and it kind of disappeared and mm. I wanted that back. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you think are, cause I, I would think that the experience of having your prayer life fizzles, not one that's, uh, like unique to you. I think that a lot of people experience that and you have to be talking to a lot of people right now about their prayer lives. Mm -hmm. What are some of the common factors that you see and hear people saying, this is what is contributing to kind of killing prayer in my life? A busyness is number one, for sure. Like, I mean, Bill Hybels wrote the book on that, right? Too too busy not to pray. And, uh, great book, but but yeah, like I think busyness is probably the biggest one. I think if there was a number two, it's just faith, right? Like, yeah. is is anyone there? Is anyone listening? Is are my prayers being heard? Is it doing anything? Yeah. So does prayer work, right? Yeah. So I would say busyness and faith for sure. Okay. Well, I know lots of pastors and ministry leaders uh, are listening to this, and I, I was wondering from your perspective if you think that there's any mistakes, albeit well-intentioned ones, that we make as leaders that might not that that might be putting kind of that prayer fire out, or at least not stoking it. Mm, great question, right? I, like, I mean, I've now traveled thirty-seven thousand miles around the world. Uh, 12 countries, Judeo-Christian prayer traditions across the spectrum. And uh, I've been to over 100 churches um, in the last few years. And there's very little, if any, prayer in churches. Like, Mm. like actually, like, uh, there's an old quote by Armin Gesswein. He said, um, when Jesus left for heaven, all he left behind was a prayer meeting. (laughs) Like, the the early church just was a prayer meeting, right? And um, yeah, I, I just haven't, to be honest, seen a lot of prayer in churches. It's just not really like a thing even. And, um, 
people sometimes ask me like, okay, but like, uh, if God knows what's going to happen and he's already like preordained everything, then, uh, why do we need to pray? And I love, I think it's, a, I think it's Tozer who said, what if our prayers are in the predestination? Like, what if God assumed that his children would talk to him? Yeah. Like, what if he just assumed that the church would be in constant communion and conversation yeah. with Christ? So I think, like, I mean, I the think focus too, of, yeah, when, the focus when, of most churches worship yeah, and preaching, right? But totally. Should I should be talking to God. When Jesus, like, teaches the Lord's Prayer, he mm-hmm. even starts that by saying, when you pray. Yes. And there was an assumption, not like if, or you should, that there's other places where he commands us to pray, mm. but even in the Lord's prayer, he says, when you pray and when you fast, those two mm-hmm. spiritual disciplines, which are very closely connected, they were assumptions. Like these yeah. things are going to happen. So I think that that's a really totally. good point. I actually, when I was in Israel, I went to the spot traditionally where Jesus taught the disciples that prayer. And uh, it's so interesting. You know, they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he doesn't say, okay, perfect. We're going to have a 10 week course. on." He just says, okay, let's pray. And he just gets straight to it. The only way to pray is to learn to pray is by praying. It's like working out a muscle, right? You just have to do it. Totally. So for people that haven't really heard kind of the premise of your book, why don't you set it up a little bit? I know that you guys were shooting this second documentary. Mm -hmm. Something in that uh, is what triggered this prayer thing. And then I I got some like logistical questions about how this all came together for sure. But just tell me a little bit about the scope of what happened that became this book. Yeah. So (laughs) we were shooting this documentary. We're in the red light district of Amsterdam. It was our first night in the district. And we just decided to walk down and kind of scope it out. And when we were about half a mile away, we heard a, we heard chanting and it was getting louder and louder and louder. And by the time we got there, we realized that there was a soccer game going on and there was like guys flying from like all over the UK and yeah. all over Europe for this. And this one bar had like hundreds of guys just like drunk out of their minds, puking in the streets, peeing in the canals. There's street sweepers like sweeping into the canals, like Ugh. police on horseback, women in the windows. And uh, just like, like... Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah. Like totally. I don't know how else I would describe it, but um, my wife went into a number of these red light windows with a friend of hers who's a care worker, and these girls are sick and they're tired and they're scared and there's so much trafficking that happens in the red light districts of Amsterdam. There's actually like five of them; it's not just one. Wow. But um, one of the girls looked out at this mob and she whispered one word: "Dangerous." Because what happens is if their team wins, these guys come and celebrate with the girls. But if their team loses, they come and they take out their aggression on the girls. So like either way, the girls. Totally brutalized. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in the middle of the red light district is the oldest building in Amsterdam. And it's an 800 year old church and it's still active. And every hour on the hour, the church bells ring and men are abusing women to the soundtrack of church bells. And I was just like, honestly, thank God I didn't have a gun. Like I was yeah. just so overwhelmed. Right. And I just said, God, I need your power in prayer to end this. And that's where the journey started. It was just this realization that like what I had in high school was gone and I wanted it back because the task at hand is just so big. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so, uh, okay. Then just on a practical note, mm-hmm. how does yeah. something like this come together where essentially, cause the book reads more like a travel log than mm-hmm. like a traditional book on here's how to have a better prayer life, mm-hmm. which it's a travel it, memoir. Yeah. yeah. And so how do you, how do you pay for something like that? How do you just wake up and decide I'm going to travel all the way around the world and talk to all these, you know, amazingly interesting people about mm-hmm. prayer. How does that come together for you? Well, so a couple years earlier, I had done an internship on Vancouver Island with one of my favorite authors. His name's Mark Buchanan. He's a pastor. He's probably the most gifted technical writer alive today, 
by a mile. Like, wow. and pe- other people will tell you that too. Like, Ann Voskamp loves him. Like, yeah. there's so many people that just really respect his writing. He's so good. Okay. And um, so I I interned with him for six months, and uh, a couple years later, he introduced me to his literary agent. So we had just been in conversation, and I had told her about this idea that like, yeah, someday for a book, I'd love to do this. You know, I'd love to do like a pilgrimage around the world and just like learn about prayer. And she was like, send me a book proposal on that. So we got back from shooting this documentary and my wife and I went to Brooklyn and we celebrated Passover with ultra Orthodox Hasidic Jews. And uh, that was like a wild Passover experience. So I came home, wrote the sample chapters, sent it off to her. And then we ended up pitching it to some publishers and uh, a publisher agreed to pay for the trip if I'd write a book on prayer. So um, the timing was just like it was incredible. It was like yeah. it was such a gift, such a blessing, and uh, it really allowed me to um, do that thing I was really in need of, which yeah. was take a year out of life to focus on the things above, like Christians used to do in the Middle Ages. Like we used to go on pilgrimage; that was like a thing we did. But now we just go on all inclusives and cruises. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you pick the places that you went? Well, we started with Judaism because. Uh-huh. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, obviously. Yeah. So we went with, so I went to Brooklyn for yep. Passover and then we went to, uh, I went to Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Yeah. Uh, then we moved on to Greek Orthodoxy, which okay. is the oldest, right? Yep. So we got the kind of the closest, then the oldest. So I went to Mount Athos, which is like the all dudes, holy mountain in Greece. Okay. Um, and then um, I went, then we went to Catholic. So, so kind of closest, oldest, biggest. Yeah. And so Catholicism took us to all sorts of places, Camino de Santiago, Avila, um, Assisi, Monte Cassino, and then of course to the Vatican to mm-hmm. hang out with Pope Francis and have lunch at the Vatican. Right. And then we got into ecumenical and then back into Protestantism yeah. uh, and some of the weird uncles and crazy cousins like Westboro Baptist Church, walking on coals, things like yeah. that. So it was it was kind of a logical progression um, when you kind of break it down into den- denominations. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I wondered, I kept thinking about this when I was reading through the book, I wondered if because of the unfortunate uh, hypercritical culture of so much of Christianity today, Mm -hmm. have you gotten any flack or pushback on the fact that you talked to people that were not strictly evangelical Protestant uh, people about prayer? Have you gotten any criticism about that at all? Uh, Yeah, it's, I'm okay with that because we get hate letters and hate emails from like, pro-prostitution sex workers and Johns and stuff. So that's okay. like other Christians saying that they disagree with me is like very light in comparison. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, the the thing is though, almost every, I haven't met a denomination yet that doesn't agree on prayer, right? Sure. Like everyone agrees that like Jesus is the son of God and we should talk to God. Yeah. And that's actually kind of incredibly unifying. So even like some really fundamentalist people that I've talked to, have, have, I've been able to like convince them that like, okay, like what if orthodoxy isn't that far away? What if Catholicism isn't that far away? Like, sure, we disagree on things, but like we're a family. Like maybe we think they're the weird uncle, but they might think we're the crazy cousin. Like the key word in Christianity is Christ. So let's just love each other. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And what, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the most interesting? So you met the Pope. I for sure have to hear about that. People need to hear that, but what are most interesting for you? Most interesting places and people that you got to visit with? Um, there's a, there's an ecumenical prayer community three hours East of Paris called Taizé. And that was a really cool experience. Um, 
basically like upwards of 100,000 young people will go there every year to spend a week in prayer. And you pray before breakfast, before lunch, after dinner. Each time a prayer starts with eight minutes of silence. And uh, that was just like an incredible experience. Um, it's really well known in Europe. It's not so well known here in North America, but it's like a, a thing to do over there. So that was a that's where I really learned about silence. Like my prayer life before was like me asking God for things like he was Santa Claus. Yeah. Totally one way conversation. Yeah. But silence is so key. Like, you know, if you do all the talking in your marriage, it's doomed. Sure, <laughs> right. Totally. Like it's, it's not a monologue. Uh, it's not a speech. It's a conversation with yeah. God. So yeah. What's more important? A thousand words from us to God or one word from God to us. Right. Yeah. Like I'd rather have him speak. <laughs> Totally. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to share a simple way that you can help support In The Room. As you know, most weeks I'm talking with someone who's written a book about something. Now, I love books, and I know firsthand how expensive it can be to try to keep up with all the books that you'd like to read, including the ones that you hear about on this show. And this is why I'm so excited about our new partnership with Givingtons.com. Like Amazon, they sell books at discounted rates. But here's what's great for In The Room. When you buy a book through our store, we receive a portion of that sale to help continue bringing great weekly content. So for whatever featured book we're discussing on this week's episode, we receive a full $2. And for books from past episodes, we receive $1.25. Now, you've probably heard me say this before, but I want to help get this podcast to as many people as possible, and I need your help. So will you keep spreading the word on social media and will you consider buying this week's book through givingtons.com? Just go to givingtons.com slash in the room. There you're going to find not only this episode's book, but books written by past guests as well. So check out our new store at givingtons.com slash in the room. Thanks so much for your help. And now back to the conversation. So how did this thing with the Pope come to be? So you got to meet Pope Francis <laughs> yeah. and then have lunch at the Vatican. I'm thinking not everybody that shows up gets that. So how did that happen for you? Well, I had tried every which way to meet the Pope, like phone calls, uh, emailing all the consulates, letters, postcards. I even got a fax number because <laughs> we're in the 21st century yeah. and uh, like nothing was happening. We were just praying for an open door and we flew to Rome, took the whole kind of tour uh, went to Aval- went sorry went to Assisi where Saint Francis was from. Mm-hmm. We went to we went to uh, Monte Cassino where Benedict of Nursia was from, where he died. And our last night in Monte Cassino, there was a Skype voicemail ten o'clock on a Saturday night, and it said, "Come to the Domus Sancta Marta at noon tomorrow." So we rushed back to Rome, and nothing's open on Sunday, and we've been traveling for months. Yeah. And uh, so my wife and I actually met the Pope in jeans and yoga pants. It's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's a gracious dude. Yeah. And uh, it was really cool. Like, um, we just had a couple minutes with him, got to ask him about prayer. And what was really neat, Ryan, was twice during our conversation, he asked me to pray for him. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, totally. here's the spiritual leader for a billion people, and he understands his great need for power higher than himself. Yeah. Which is like so awesome. And then he gave us rosaries as gifts, and they're stamped with this papal insignia, which says lowly but chosen. And He's entitled to this like palatial mansion, but he lives in like a spare room of the guest house and eats his meals in the cafeteria. He was at the next table for lunch. But that was something I, I noticed across the spiritual leaders I met elsewhere was this deep humility that like mm. we are helpless on our own. Like no, not by might nor even power, but by your spirit. Yeah. Like, yeah, we need help. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> so when you uh, – what, what did you find the most surprising 
I mean, that's a, I, I love that insight about these spiritual leaders that you yeah. met, that there was a common mark of humility, but what, what are some of the things that you found that, that just really surprised you? Um, about Catholicism or the whole trip? Just the whole trip. Like, I mean, I went to North Korea, right? Like <laughs> yeah. we'll probably want to talk about that at some point, but that's yeah. like, it's like being on Mars, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I think we could probably contrast it with, um, the folks at Westboro, like, uh-huh. Um, it was actually kind of humorous, but at one point during our conversation, I said, okay, so one in four Americans like goes to church every Sunday. That means there's like 75 million people who call themselves Christians. How many do you think are actually Christians? And the wife turns to her husband. She's like the founder's daughter and her and her husband who's an elder. And, uh, she turns to her husband. She's like, what's our membership up to now, honey? 44. And I'm like, hold the phone. You think there are only 44 Christians in all of America? And he was just so serious, right? He's like, well, you know, uh, Elijah thought that he was the only one, but God told him that there were 6,000 other prophets who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. And we're just praying for those 6,000. I'm oh like, my gosh. what kind of pride do you need to have to think that like your church alone has the chosen few? Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. If I get into heaven, it's going to be solely by the grace of God and yeah. nothing I've ever done. Don't get me wrong on that. Right. But like, to declare that over like all of humanity is just takes a level of pride to the max. Oh, that I just can't yeah. even imagine. So what, yeah. what about, so what, I mean, you, I'm assuming you talked to them about prayer. Yeah. Did you get the sense that prayer was, uh, was it like a legitimate and commonplace practice in their lives? Well, you know, it's interesting because I wanted to go to Westboro because you see them on the media all right. the time and they're just so, and my idea is like, we will never have reconciliation until we have a relationship. So yep. I just wanted to like be on their turf and like just hear them out. And so I asked them all sorts of questions like, you know, what's your prayer for the world? And they were like, that God would destroy the wicked. I was like, okay, wow. yeah, so much. Who needs grace? Just throw yeah. that out the window. And uh, I said like, okay, so do you guys like, do you like have a weekly prayer meeting or anything? And they're like, uh, we actually don't because we don't see it in scripture. I'm like, uh, I don't see picketing in scripture. Right, but, seriously. Right? But this was the interesting thing that they said, Ryan. They said, you know, Jared, we prayerfully consider what we write on all our signs. Signs like gays die, God laughs. Right. Signs like pray for more dead soldiers. Right. And I left there and I was so mad, so angry that there's a group of people who call themselves Christians and yet yeah. are just brutal to humanity. And I was kind of filled with the same hatred that fills the people at Westboro. Yeah. And uh, I remembered this old Quaker tradition that I learned when I visited the oldest church in North America and they do this prayer called holding in the light where if you just have nothing to say, you've ran out of words and you're praying for someone, they just kind of picture themselves holding that person in the light of God's grace. And they say like, God, do the work that only you can do. Help me to see them as you see them. Help me to love you. Help me to love them as you love them. So I started doing that with Westboro. And now I kind of get giddy when I see them on TV. Like everyone's like, oh, Westboro. I'm like, oh, Westboro. Like yeah. they could be a real church if they experience grace and love, like instead of a cult, right? They could be right. a real. So I'm supremely hopeful for what God could do in that family. Like it's going to take a miracle, obviously, but sure, we can get there. Well, what about North Korea? What was that like? Yeah. Um, How did you- right. It's been rated the most dangerous place on earth for Christians 12 years in a row. There's over 50,000 Christians in North Korean concentration camps. And uh, so I am Canadian, so it's easier for me to get into North Korea than as Americans. Okay. They don't call you Americans down there, by the way. You're called American imperialists. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, it's really happy. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it is. Yeah, so I had applied 
uh, all the tour agencies are government sanctioned, of course. And I uh-huh. applied and got rejected because they'd seen my Huffington Post articles and thought I was a journalist. So I applied to another government-run tour agency and they didn't see the articles. So I didn't tell my wife about the first one until yeah. I got back. <laughs> but um, I ended up you know, flying into Pyongyang via Beijing and uh, they confiscate my passport at the border for safekeeping right and uh, i'm assigned a guide which is actually a guard he's with you the whole time like he'll stand outside the bathroom like wow our our hotel was on an island so we couldn't escape like it's just and we were on a five-day propaganda tour like um over a million citizens have starved to death in the last 30 years it's the least cultivated nation on the planet and uh on New Year's Day, you actually have to go and bow before the dead emperor's bodies, which are like stuffed in glass coffins. So I tried to like stay in the hotel and stay on the bus because like I would hope I wouldn't bow a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, yeah. And like I wouldn't bow to a statue of Hitler. So um, we go in and uh, we had to like go through this wind tunnel that blows the dust off you because you're entering holy ground. Wow. And uh, we go in and you have to bow seven times in total. So at the leader's feet, left side, right side, and then his son's feet, left side, right side, and then a statue of the two of them together. And it's a full Korean half bow at the waist. It's not like a head nod. Yeah. And uh, so we went in and there's like hundreds of armed soldiers in the room. I'm stressed out of my mind. And um, everyone else bowed and I just stayed standing. I didn't bow at all. And I just whispered the Lord's Prayer seven times. Yeah. And uh, they weren't very happy about that, but um, it had to be done. And yeah. yeah, I got back to the hotel and I was just so broken. So you didn't get to to yeah. interact then with any like there's no I mean no. is what it what I don't know that mu- as nearly as much as you do obviously about that area but is there an underground movement of Christianity throughout? Um, yeah, like, or I mean, would we I, not even know about it if there was? Uh, they estimate that upwards of a third of the underground church is actually potentially a spy as well. It's like okay, if there. If you have faith in North Korea, it's probably immensely personal at this point in time. Yeah. The, the repression on every level is so crazy. Um, what's, and like, and I have since talked with some people who are doing missions work in North yeah. Korea, and God bless them because that's, right. that's a crazy gig to get very called to. But um, one thing that I think, like, I mean, we, we keep have to, we have to keep coming back to the point that we're not fighting flesh and blood, like yeah. at all. We're fighting spirituality, like principalities in the heavenly realms. And that became so clear to me when I visited this one tower called the Juche Idea uh, Tower. And it's this, basically, it's, it's the exact, it's the Washington Monument, but three feet taller. Like it's okay. <laughs> just, they had to do it three feet taller. And, yeah. uh, uh, the Juche idea basically is we are the captains of our fate and the masters of our destiny. It's absolute uh, self-reliance. Um, basically, we are God. Yeah. And what that does is it makes you absolutely state-reliant for everything. Your house is assigned to you. Your job is assigned to you. You pick up your food uh, on a monthly basis at a dispensary. You pick up your clothes on an annual basis at department store number one, and there is no department store number two. Like, it's just <laughs> total reliance. And... But it comes out of this great idolatry that says, I am God. I right. am. So that's really what needs to fall in North Korea is this, the same thing that infects all of us, right? Like for yeah. them, they just worship the leaders. Us, we worship the Kardashians and right. whoever else, right? Like whoever the star is this week or the sports star or whatever. But we just have more options in our idolatry. Yeah. yeah. Well, coming back to the topic of prayer in general, mm-hmm. yeah. what what are some of the things that you know, as you look back on this year and all that you've learned and all that God has done in your prayer life, what are some, some really key 
Uh, I'm not even sure what to call them, but I guess components to prayer, to having a fervent prayer life that we just don't really understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ryan, I have 21 irrefutable laws of intercession. Okay. Share now. No, I'm phenomenal. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So like, I mean, silence is a big one for sure. Um, Just, um, as brother Roger from Taze said, maintain inner silence in all things. So as to dwell with Christ, just hanging out with dad is a huge one. Uh, aura at labora, uh, St. Benedict, that was his famous saying, Mm -hmm. pray and work. Um, those two things don't have to be separate. And like the work that we do can be an offering to God. It can be infused with meaning and purpose and mission. Like, I mean, you're a pastor, you have days that are like, the Holy Spirit is moving and rocking. And there are other days that it's just like totally in your flesh totally. and you're like, you're wasting your time, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. so prayer and work can become one. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the book, Practice the Presence of God by yep. Brother, um, Brother Lawrence. Lawrence. Yep. Yeah. So I actually found his kitchen. Um, it's kind of gone missing, but we found it uh, in Paris, France. And the fact that you can like wash dishes and cook food mm-hmm. and just be with God is for me a really big one. Cause I've always separated work and prayer. It's like, God help me. And now I'm going to do all the work. It's like, right. well, why? Like <laughs> you can yeah. do both. Uh, and then like praying with people, it's just so powerful. Like we have people over all the time and you'll never leave my house without an extended time of prayer around the campfire or whatever. And it's just like something that we've just made a habit in our life now that yeah. we just pray with friends. So well, for, for people who can't necessarily spend a year traveling around and, and going on this pilgrimage, though, that would be phenomenal. What do you think uh, needs to happen for prayer to be revived? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting because I could go both ways on that statement because okay. part of me says, um, you're totally right. We don't need to take a year and go around the world. However, what if we substituted some of our vacation dollars yeah. And actually just decided to go to like one place. And yeah. and all of a sudden our vacation was now infused with deep spiritual meaning and memories that will last a lifetime and yeah. lessons that will change us forever. That could be a really good investment of some beach days. So sure. part of me says I could go either way on that. Um, but yeah, like I mean, there are so many incredible um, stories and books that you can read about prayer. Like, I mean, I, I bought a six foot stack of books this year or during my year of living yeah. prayerfully and just like learned so many cool prayer lessons and, um, get involved in some sort of prayer activity in your local church or community. Um, talk to your elders, deacons, and pastors and get something going in your church. Like find a local 24 seven boiler room of prayer. Like, um, it goes back to that whole thing. Like Jesus just starts praying. Like if you want to learn to pray, just go find someone who's not in prayer. It's like going on a first date, right? Like it's not, it's going to be awkward the first time you go on a blind date and it's going to be awkward the first time you try to talk with God. Like it's a relationship and takes time to build. Like it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. So when you think about those, uh, that six foot stack of books, if you're going to narrow it down to two, three that you found the most helpful, what are, what are some of the best books on prayer that you recommend? Well, I just wrote one, Ryan. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> outside of that one, I would agree that one is. Uh, mine falls outside of the realm of like nice, introverted, flowing. Like okay. mine's, a, mine's a like a comedic memoir on prayer. Right? It's very different. It is. But um, yeah, like I mean, uh, practice the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. I read it the first time when I was a late teenager, and I hated it because I didn't understand. 
that it was actually a series of letters and conversations. It's okay. not a like a book, right? It's yeah. a conversation. So rereading that was phenomenal, and it's super short. It's like a one hour read, um, but it'll change the way you pray forever. Yeah. So that would be one. Um, the Rule of Taze by Brother Roger. Um, it's about sixty pages. Uh, phenomenal read. Um, any anything by George Mueller is hilarious. Uh, he had over 5,000 prayers answered on the day he prayed them. Uh, he ran a series of orphanages in England with over 10,000 boys in his care. And his prayers are hilarious. Like, you know, God, uh, we need 63 pounds of rice by lunch or your children will starve. You yeah. wouldn't want your children to starve, would you? And like <laughs> someone would knock at the door. Like yeah. he just had an incredible prayer life. Um, I read a lot about the different revivals. Um, anything by Pete Grieg, founder of 24-7 Prayer, is fantastic. Like Red Mood Rising, you'll learn all about the revivals. Oh man, there's too many. Like no, it's too, good, man. Too many. Yeah, um, like I mean, Bill Hybels. We already talked about that book. Yep. Um, too busy not to pray. Too busy not to pray. It was yep. great. Um, uh, Reese Howells, Intercessor. Uh, Daniel Nash. Um, anything by Finney. Um, uh, to, obviously, people like Tozer. Um, yeah. Spurgeon wrote a lot about prayer. I got yep. to visit Spurgeon's Tabernacle. Cool. Yeah, there's there's so so many options. All right, well, we'll link a bunch of those up yeah. so that people can find And I mentioned a bunch of them in my book too. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, lastly, what what does like what would you say is the number one thing that's really changed in your prayer life? Is it the you know kind of praying as you go? But what's the like what does prayer life look like for you now? How have how have you changed through all this? Well, I definitely pray a lot more now, but it's a lot more quiet now. Okay. Um, just being an extrovert, you tend to do a lot of talking. So yep. just trying to listen to that still small voice of God. Um, the other like big epiphany I had this year, and I just don't know how I missed it in Sunday school, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, you become like this people you hang out with. So you know, if you have lunch every day with Steven Spielberg, you're going to watch more movies. If you have yep. dinner every day with Bill Gates, you're going to get better at managing your money. Yep. If you spend time with Jesus in prayer you're going to become more like Jesus. And so prayer actually changes us. And then as God works in the world and as God works in us, we end up seeing miracles, revival, change happen in the world because God's working in us, through us and around us. So that I think is kind of a hugely like under misunderstood or missed piece about prayer is that prayer actually just changes us because we become more like the people we hang out with. Yeah. Well, that's great. Jared, the book is funny and uh, fascinating, filled with insight, um, and and not in always the straightforward way that you'd expect <laughs> from like a, a book about prayer. So I think it's a super fresh take uh, on the topic. Awesome. And uh, thanks for taking the risk. Thanks for stepping out in these ways and allowing all of us to benefit from it. And thanks for coming on in the room. Well, thanks for having me. I'm just glad I got home alive. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. Thanks again. Thanks so much. My thanks to Jared for his time and for the great conversation. And don't forget, on my blog, you'll also find uh, all the ways that we can stay connected online, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as any additional show notes that you might want from today's episode. So until next week, I count it a great honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks so much for listening.